Hello, my name is Dwayne Terry Jr. and thank you for joining our podcast today on Just Transitions in Agriculture. A Just Transition is a visionary process driven by universal principles that aim to develop economic and political power to transition from an exploitive to a renewable economy. This entails viewing the production and consumption cycles holistically and minimizing waste as much as possible. To be considered a just transition, the transition needs to be just and equitable. It must seek to reconcile past wrongs while forging new power dynamics for the future through reparations. It's important to be aware that the conclusion will never be just if the transition process is not just. A just transition defines where we're headed as well as a potential way of getting there. For my project, as a part of this joint broadcast with my classmates, I explored why there is a significant lack of black farmers in the U.S. In this episode, I hope to present information about this travesty and provide some perspective from black farmers themselves, who are currently working on multiple projects to rectify this decline in black farmers in the U.S. We will also hear from non-farmers, but academics, aware of this problem. I conducted extensive research about this issue nationally, but focused on Michigan and a black-owned farm there, Willow Run Acres. Blacks have been farming in the United States for nearly 400 years, particularly in Michigan since the 1830s. Owning and keeping farms, however, has been a constant difficulty for blacks. Lack of credit, segregation, relegation to marginal and hazard-prone property, natural disasters, organized resistance to black land ownership, and institutionalized discrimination have all hampered the black community's capacity to own and run farms. Cooperatives and other community-based groups assist blacks in responding to discrimination and environmental inequities. Is that enough though? I would like to start this episode off with an excerpt from an interview by Al Jazeera, The Stream, where we will hear from Soul Fire Farms co-founder, Leah Penniman and Professor Carmen Harris, who teaches history at the University of South Carolina. The content in this excerpt lays the foundation for the interview taking place for today's episode. You know, a century ago, African-American families owned one-seventh of the country's farmland. That's about 15 million acres. But they've lost more than 70% of that property, largely because of racism through loan discrimination or even violence. Loans are a lifeline for farmers surviving difficult times. When banks wouldn't loan money to black farmers, many were forced into foreclosure. Some sued the government, claiming systemic racism. In 1999, officials settled and eventually paid out nearly $2 billion. But many say that doesn't even come close to making up for the $120 billion lost by black farmers over the past century. Now farmers are fighting to hold on to the land they have left. At the same time, many young African-Americans are returning to farming to reconnect with their roots. Land is the basis of freedom, dignity, and equality. It allows people in our community to see more broadly what's possible for them and that they don't have to settle for what society has been told are the limits of what they can do. All right, joining us for today's discussion is Walena Scott White, a retired educator and third generation farmer based in Cleveland, Mississippi. Now, we've just learned that Walena is not going to be with us via Skype. We're going to have her by phone today. Also with us today is Katrina Baxter. She's a land and food justice activist with Soil Generation, a coalition of growers led by people of color in Philadelphia. And we have Julius Tillery, a fifth generation cotton farmer from North Carolina 
and owner of Black Cotton. And finally, we have Professor Carmen Harris. She's at the Professor of History at the University of South Carolina. Carmen has been researching race policy and agriculture for 20 years. Carmen, I'd like to begin with you. As we noted in the beginning of the show there, that the, the status of black farmers in the U.S. right now, that what, 2% of farmers are, are black in the U.S., hasn't always been the case. Can you take us back about 100 years and set us up? What did it used to be like? And then what happened? How did we get here? Okay. Well, about 100 years ago, you were at the peak of black farm ownership around 1920, maybe about 15% of farmers were African-American. It's very interesting. I was looking up some statistics in advance of this, and, and in 1870, which is about five years after slavery, 2% of black farmers were farm owners, and that's very close to the percentage today. Most of the blacks who were farmers in the aftermath of the Civil War were actually sharecroppers, which means they didn't own the land. They rented the land and typically paid for it with a share of the crop, uh, whether that be cotton or tobacco in most cases. Um, and, you know, that's how they made their living. Mm. Um, most enslaved people wanted land, though, because they understood, as your opening vignette said, that land was freedom. So how do we get to where we are today? What happened? Like, it's hard for me to believe that we're in a place in the United States that is similar to where we were five years after slavery in the terms of the percentage of black Americans that own farms. You got there primarily through uh, federal policy, through taxation, sometimes through outright theft, um, escalations of land, for example, on, on coastal areas where you could grow wonderful Sea Island cotton happened as whites saw these as areas or spaces of recreation. So it was a combination of, of, of factors, hmm. uh, but probably the most dominant one would be the role of federal policy. Today, I will be speaking with T.C. Collins, founder of Willow Run Acres, located in Ypsilanti, Michigan. T.C. Collins started gardening and farming at two to three years old with his great-great-grandparents. As a descendant of former slaves, the legacy of farming and gardening has been preserved in his family along with other often lost traditions. His southern roots gave him an appreciation for green space and he has been living organically since before it was popular. T.C. manages many gardens and farms throughout Michigan and Ohio. He also reached over 2,500 students pre-COVID-19 with his classes, workshops, volunteerism, and community engagement through gardening and farming every year. Many of uh, my young black peers want nothing to do with agriculture, primarily because of its direct link to slavery. Uh, what advice would you give in order to convince the black youth to learn more about agriculture and farming? Well, the most important thing learning about agriculture is learning uh, your history and understanding the whole process of slavery and what it pertains to each family line. That's the most important thing. Second, um, working with farming and agriculture in the black community, it has been a challenge with the thought of slavery, but uh, changing that narrative 
and making sure that they understand that that was a then operation and this is a now or a future operation, which is totally different because slavery was not what we had uh, control of, but we have control of our future now. And to understand that, it, it, it really opens that door to understanding and learning. And do, do you feel that it's the duty of those in privileged positions to acknowledge and help, uh, I guess, the less privileged and specifically the black community to be aware that um, this is a time to focus on the future and progressing rather than um, lamenting about the past? Well, it, it, it works both ways, you know what I mean? If, if you only dwell on the hardship and the negative and don't understand that that was a situation at that time, yeah, there will be a negative effect, but if you use good education, um, good communication, and, and have a reason of why agriculture is important today, and for both the black farmers of the past that lost their land and have an understanding how they lost it and why they lost it compared to how to start farming today as a new black farmer and carry that lineage forward can possibly open up more doors of opportunity. A common theme that emerges from the literature is a feeling of powerlessness in stopping the flow of black land loss. Another point of agreement is that the black farmer and rural landowner must be preserved, if not restored. In the research, there are those arguing that landowners provide the foundation of civic engagement and overall politics in rural black communities. Other benefits of land ownership include improved personal pride, improved educational outcomes for children, and a general sense of well-being. A majority of the literature presents similar opinions on the decrease of blacks in farming and offers remedies that are consistent across the research. That being said, a lot of differences are present in the group of articles. In its entirety, they address a wide variety of concerns that distinguish black farmers by region, commodities cultivated, and social and economic status. What do you see have been the most pivotal periods of time in U.S. agricultural policy that has caused the decline in black farmers? Well, um, when you go to, go to the USDA, they have so many departments. I mean, it can be anywhere from 20, 19 to 23 different departments. And it can, that is the most confusing avenue as a farmer that when you need help and they say, well, just go contact the USDA. Well, it's more to it than that because if you're, if you have the knowledge and if you have an understanding and a goal where you want to get to, it may not be the case when you want to get to the USDA because there's so many departments and it's so frustrating that you don't get the right help or you don't get help at all because it's, it's a challenge where you have to deal with so many different departments and credit is another thing. Um, there's more credit um, processes that are out there that are challenging as a black person or a black farmer compared to having grants and grants are very helpful, but it's, they just don't offer enough grants to, to really help farmers out. And, and when you speak of these grants, um, is there 
is there a specific um, avenue in which you'd in which you'd I guess employ like the money that you would receive from this grant that would help I guess uh, correct cer certain problems that you face some major obstacles you might face. Well, one of the major projects that I'm working on right now is building a community farm uh, for the community. There's and I have to obtain water for my farm and. The land is okay, but you um, you have to have to, I have to dig a well. I don't have the capital to dig a well. Um, having the capital to dig the well costs most probably about twelve to fifteen thousand dollars, including um, making sure that you have a um, electrical connected up to the well. That is a lot, and when you want to provide for the community with the community farming. Those are the two challenges, and that, that that's what's us, um, us offsetting us right now because we can't get that one particular project up and funded correctly. Um, I don't want to take loans because I, I that's taking on more debt, and it's not promised that it's going to be 100% successful. And that's, that's the biggest challenge that, you know, they you, once you promise something to the government or to the agency, they want their money, and if you if, right. if you don't fulfill on it, that's their that's your dream becomes their reality afterwards, and you can lose it. And that's where we're we're fighting right now. Right. So there, that's that's one of the major things that I wish there was more grants when it comes down to water grants, uh, irrigation grants. Um, offering loans is not the way. Is so? Is this current project the the only ongoing project you have now, or are do you have other projects? I I'd like to know about your. We're working on nine different um, projects simultaneously. Yes. Um and do do some of those other projects encompass like the same thing that you're doing with the project you just spoke about, or or are they focusing on different issues associated with your farm? Um, I have to keep them all separate um, because if I put all the farming projects in one place, um, it will be it won't exist. And the reason why I say that is that if you if I, I'm a new beginning farmer and by me having to rent land in different nine locations, it is um, overcoming at times. But if I have it at one, you. Um, centralized location, it's, it's not a, a practical thing to do because um, you have to worry about crop rotation. You have to worry about uh, certain plants can grow in certain um, soils. Um, you have to have some shade for the plants. So there's a lot of challenges that I'm glad that I put myself into this situation to grow them in different nine locations. But if I had it at one Location that would be my problem. That would be the biggest problem I would have right now, are, and, and and it wouldn't be a good fit for our operation. Are are there certain aspects of your farm in its entirety you would like to improve that would help you achieve your your broad mission goals? Well, the the, the most important thing that we would like to have our goals with is that having access to tools and equipment. Um, having access to capital, having access to, if there was um, in the near future grants that offer 
uh, purchasing of land that would help out any available new beginning farmer um, that once you obtain a farm number get the land that's one thing but if you're constantly renting from other people um, it takes away from your profit zone and that's that 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 has to change and I I assume that that most certainly has to be a barrier to entry for young black farmers in the U.S. Right? Um, would yes. You, what do you have an idea of like other barriers that they might face? Um, transportation is one. Uh, refrigeration is another one. Uh, having access to equal um, representation is the number one thing because. When you're in a community that there are family line farmers that have been uh, farming on their land for years and then they don't farm anymore, but they still own that land, as a new black farmer, you don't have that opportunity. And you're, you can ride past a, um, a field that's probably about 180 acres, maybe 500 acres. But that's in that family line, and they hand it down from family member to family member, and they, and they hold on to it, and they don't out, they don't cultivate their land. That's the disparity. But when you're uh, a new black farmer, and if you don't have that uh, privilege of having something given to you or or lent to you in your family line, it's very hard to get one acre, let alone five hundred acres. Right. Right. Well, well, then what what would you say are some steps the U.S. government then? could take to improve the plight of black farmers in this country and, in essence, tear down these barriers? Communication. Come to the black community. See each and every community that exists, no matter if it's the poorest community or if it's the best thriving community. Come to the black community and just see if there are opportunities for new black farmers to exist because they, they do exist. We do exist, but we can only um, live in our homes or put up a roadside stand and sell our vegetables on the roadside, but we don't get extended. We don't have the capital to expand it further. I mean, when you, when you are faced with the farmer's markets and when the farmer's markets are full and you have to be on a waiting list, the produce that you're growing is going to end up going bad, spoiled, rotten. Because you're waiting on a waiting list to sell your product, so a lot of farmers they they get discouraged because it's a waiting list. Would Would you say that um, you're could well? Could you tell me a little bit about the origins of uh, Willow Run Acres and any progress that you've seen made on behalf of the uh, U.S. government on behalf of your organization from where you guys started from and where you're at now? Well, we're not getting any help from the U.S. government. Um, I'm, I, this is a standalone operation. I started it for a classroom project for my daughter. Uh, she could not um, bring cupcakes to the school because they had a ban on sweets. So I asked the principal and the teacher, could we bring in potatoes and teach the children about growing potatoes? Well, they said, well, if we can do it with one class, let's see if it's a success and if if, if possible, can we do it to other classrooms? Well, it started off with just 30 that first two weeks, and then it grew to 360 kids in that whole school, and, wow. and, and it was a success. So I started a potato program, teaching um, the community, the kids, about the poisonous potatoes, 
the, uh, the edible potatoes, the history of where the potatoes came from, um, uh, the Peruvian side of the potatoes, and it, it, it worked out, and that's been about 13 years now, and it started off, like I said, from 30 children to now 5,000 kids. Wow. And each kid, and that's, and that's annually. The kids get to um, assemble their own potato kit. They get to put it into a, they get to put it into a, um, a dish. Get home, all potatoes. And, and, and that started in the preschool level. And that, that's where I started focusing is like, well, you know, if gardening is this easy for me, but it's also challenging for others, let me simplify that. And that's what I did. I, I sit there and made simpler ways of teaching and educating about gardening and farming. And, and I, I kind of like it. So we started doing um, that one school and it branched off to having um, four school districts, three daycare centers, and the YMCA. Wow. That's remarkable. Okay. Thank you. And, 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 it's, and it's been picking up ever since. And it's like, even when COVID happened, we did do um, remote learning and it worked out real well where we taught people how to grow potatoes, how to grow lettuce, how to germinate seeds online. Um, we taught them how to uh, grow pineapples indoor. A lot of people never knew that you could grow pineapples. We, we taught at least 150 residents how to grow their own pineapple because we had the pineapple tops. That was a success. And it's just every time when we try and offer something new, more and more people go for it. And that's where we are at now. They're my two great grandmothers. I was young at the time. They were part of the slave trade. And I learned that from them about cultivating the land, smelling the dirt, dirt. if it's bitter, see if it's sweet, if it has a fault order, um, how to read the seasons of the sky, how to it went from that. And it just grew from there, and I enjoyed it from the age of, uh, I believe, three and four years old. And I, I just think that education is so important because um, it, I think that that's the that's the stepping stone for us to overcome these challenges that that we face as, um, or that black farmers face in America. Um, and I, I just really appreciate the the work that you're doing um and i i really i really appreciate your time just speaking with me um it was wonderful to talk to you um once once i complete the podcast i'd love for you to listen to it i i hope that it might be useful to you and your work uh, as a way of informing others about how black farmers are overcoming systemic racism in the u.s agricultural system that agree. Can I add one more thing before you go, if Absol you don't mind? Absolutely. Go ahead. Okay. Um, the one thing that I have been doing is creating a farm to garden school um, where the kids can come out to the field um, to learn all aspects of gardening and farming um, because there is a big difference. And I also explain to the children and even adults too, and it's open to the public, how to identify weeds, how to identify invasive plants and, I'll, and when i talked about earlier about nine different programs um different um ventures that i'm doing i mean we have rural run acres farm to table school we have a mushroom farm where we teach the community about how to grow mushrooms 
black walnuts and raspberries. We have an herb berry farm where we teach um, other side of the community how to grow their own herbs and how to grow their own berries. We, we do this seven days a week. Um, I probably only take about one day off of the year and that's the middle of July, uh, specifically one day off. But I, I do this year round because a lot of people in, in Michigan, when farming stops or gardening stops, that normally be late fall, early winter. That's the best time to actually learn to teach about when plants go into dormancy, how to create um, indoor plants, how to create indoor herbs. So that's why we do this. That's 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 amazing. I I I think that um, I, again, I just think that the work that you're doing is really great. Um, and it's just I'm I I'm I'm not completely um, aware of all the challenges and the, I guess the solutions per se that it takes to help us transition to a better system in which um, black farmers get the adequate support that they need. And so I really do think that the work that you're doing is um, is laying the foundation for for other organizations to really get out there and um, help us progress to a better future as black farmers. Thank you. I mean, we. Uh, my older son, he, he's in on it. He teaches college out at Western University, and he's also um, expanding our operations in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, uh, I, our, our treasurer, she's very active in the community. She's uh, teaching the children how to grow strawberries and um, how to uh, make different healthcare and beauty products out of the things that we grow in the garden. So that way it's still being um, natural and holistic. And we, we, we're doing it all because it's now's the time to, and, 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 and I use this word wisely and correctly, but some people look at it like a question mark, but I'm trying to reinvent their square wheel to make it round again. And I know that's kind of complex, but you have to look at farming and gardening that way that is, is old in tradition and is new going in the future. But the only way to go at it is by um, tackling these issues. I mean, we're, 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 we're investing in trying to get robotic gardening. We're trying to invest in aquaponic and hydroponic and aeroponic gardening, green space gardening, composting, um, recycling. It, all this plays a very important role in farming and gardening. And it's, I'm glad that you reached out to us to um, talk to us. Given that the issue I have chosen focuses on specifically the black population, one might wonder if this issue manifests itself in other racial or ethnic groups as well. But my research is evident that it does. While it may not be in the same magnitude, it must also be addressed because it is still significant. After speaking with TC, I began to consider the solutions he offered. And I agree with TC in that transitioning from the past necessitates vigilant communicative effort between the oppressed and privileged. TC emphasizes the importance of education when it comes to farming for the black community. He talks about how the historical or intergenerational trauma of slavery has had a detrimental impact on the black community's perspective of farming. He stresses the importance of realigning this perspective so that the black community might progress and take advantage of the various opportunities that farming has to offer. Building upon this, he makes note of the various barriers young black farmers will face as they begin to take advantage of farming. This includes representation, 
transportation, accessibility through land ownership, and financial barriers. Land ownership is a significant issue for the black community in particular because only a small percentage of black people have land passed down through generations. The privileged have been able to do so, allowing white landowners to bequeath wealth to future generations. Willow Run Acres is doing honest and real work by grounding its projects in education. By doing this, they're equipping not only the predominantly black population in Michigan, but the overall population in Michigan. The projects the farm has ongoing are the embodiment of just transitions. Their emphasis on reconciling past wrongs by making gardening and farming education readily accessible to the surrounding community advances society for the better. They are building from the ground up, acknowledging how we got to where we are and how we will move forward in a better manner.